bit, bit unsettled, aren't we, tonight? Uh, we're, we're looking at hope, right? And I reckon uh, hope is something that everybody wants in one way or another. Um, hope is something that you can like wish for, I hope this happens, or I wish I could have hope, or that kind of thing. Uh, hope can be something that someone just has, you know, or doesn't have, you know, he's got no hope, that guy, joker. Um, situations can be hopeless, right? Um, next slide, by the way, sorry. Um, <clears throat> if that's you and you're feeling hopeless, right, that, that can lead to despair, a hopeless situation. And if that is you and you're feeling in that spot, maybe you're anxious about, um, you don't know where life's headed, you don't know where you're going, you've got nothing to fix your eyes on. And particularly if you're anxious about your faith as a Christian, then I'm stoked you're here because that's been me this last two weeks, having a hard time, and this has been awesome for me to look into. And it's been hard to write, but I'm super excited because in, in what we're looking at tonight, God's got some good words of comfort for us um, and some sweet encouragement. And so I hope that every single one of you gets something out of this tonight. And I want you to leave here with an unshakable hope, a hope that will satisfy, right? Well, I think we're one slide ahead of what we're on. Oh, that's back. In fact, go two forward now. Unshakable hope, sweet. So this is a hope that I hope will um, satisfy you. It'll be there, it'll be unshakable, it'll be unmovable, and it will leave you with an overwhelming sense of joy. That's what we're going to do tonight. That's a pretty tall order, so I'm going to pray that God would do that for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the hope that you give us Christians. Um, pray that you'd speak to us in your word, that you'd um, yeah, help us realize that our hope is secure in you, and that we'd be stoked on that. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So, about two weeks ago, uh, for the fir- I heard my auntie's life story for the first time. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not two weeks old, so it's been a while and I haven't heard her story. And I heard it two weeks ago. And here it is. Three weeks old, she was, when her father killed her mother and then committed suicide. And she was left to the care of a foster home. Now, unfortunately... This foster carer was abusive. Uh, The carer was only ever interested in the money that she'd get for taking in foster kids from the government. So she'd take in, she had like seven foster kids, and she's just using the money. And she'd cram them all into this one room and give them just what they need to survive and be living off the money of the government. She'd do that to every one of the kids until they were 16. And what happened at 16 is the government goes, well, they're 16 now, money stops, And so she'd just send them packing, not care about them, right? So the next 16 years of my auntie's life from three weeks old was lived in one small room with six other foster kids. They'd wake up, they'd barely get fed, they'd go to school when they could, they'd come home and go straight back to that room. They'd read the textbooks that they took from school, and when the sun went down, there was no light in the room, obviously, and they'd go to bed. Year after year... This was my auntie's life, if you could call it that. 
16 years, this was all she ever knew. Uh, who's around the age of 16 here or below? Yeah, your whole life, all you've ever known, this, from the age of three weeks. Isn't that just devastating to hear? It's a hopeless situation to be born into. All those years, and my auntie had no hope. No hope of anything better, no hope of a future, just more and more abuse. And the crazy thing is that she didn't know that it was bad. She didn't know that it was hopeless. She thought this is just how life was. When she went to school, she thought this is what everyone's home situation was like. Until her foster family used that money they had to go overseas to Fiji for two weeks or something like this. And due to some circumstance, some miracle, she was allowed to stay at my grandmother's house with my dad and my other auntie. And so the next two weeks, she would taste what life should have been like for her. She would realise all that she's been missing out on. What's this phone thing? She was saying she never knew what a phone was. She never knew what music was. And she's like, Why, what, what is love? Why do these people care about me? What's this family thing that I've jumped into? What do you mean, let's go have fun? What, do you, what are these things? Can you imagine what those two weeks would have been like? Thrown in like that. Everything that my dad and his older sister took for granted day by day, she was experiencing, realising, figuring out for the first time. Well, it's got a pretty good ending. My grandma, after that, two years later, uh, adopted uh, my auntie Sue into the family. And so she's adopted into what she was there for two weeks. And she now experiences that, and that is now hers to have, right? All of a sudden, she's got a family, a loving family who cares for her. She's got a social life. She's got a full stomach. She has her own room. She's got opportunities to learn and study. All of a sudden, she has a future. And it's like she's been born again. And most people would look at that time and go, oh man, that's when she had hope. That's when she gets hope. She starts having hope for a future. And that's a beautiful story and it's an amazing story. But it's not dissimilar to yours if you're sitting here a Christian today. The first thing we can't miss in 1 Peter 1 is that as Christians, we have new birth into a living hope. So verse 3, read it with me. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. A living hope. I just want to, not quickly, but I do want to focus in on one word in there, just to start. And it's the word us, right? So it says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Now, who who is the us there? Who's the us that are given new birth and living hope? Well, us is Christians. And I know that because of the address of the letter, how Peter starts his letter. And he, he talks to a bunch of Christians in a bunch of different churches. This letter is going to get circulated around. And he addresses this group of people and gives a bunch of different descriptions as to who they are, what they are. Right? And based on that, we can actually figure out what a Christian is. And we get some pretty cool insight into, into those descriptions. So it's like, Oh, is Matt Reynolds here today? Yeah, he's always here. That's how good he is. So it's like me writing a letter to Matt Reynolds. I'm like, to Matt, 
top shelf male model, all around good bloke, winning smile, and, and then off I go with my letter. Right? And if you're reading this letter, you go, oh, it's Matt. And I'm learning a little bit about Matt, right? So that's, that's kind of what's going on here. And so in verse 1, Peter says, to God's elect. He says, exiles, right? Elect and exiles. In verse 2, he says that they're chosen by God. And that the Spirit has worked in them to be obedient to Jesus. And that they're sprinkled with Jesus' blood, right? So what is a Christian? Well, I won't spend ages on this, but I'm I'm keen to pick out a few quick things. So number one, Christians are hand-chosen by God and they're saved. So picking up a few of those, but these words are meant to be a great assurance of us being saved, right? So God, the creator of the universe designed and chose you to be his, if you're a Christian. He's chosen you by his spirit, and he's saved you, and he's made you right before him by the sprinkling, by the sacrifice of his son, by the sprinkling of Jesus' blood. So being saved, if you're sitting here thinking, I'm a Christian because I'm in a Christian family, and I go to Christian school, and I just happened upon this. I thought it might be cool, so I thought I'd join in. Now, if you're really a Christian... That's something that's been in the making for eternity. God has chosen you and saved you. There's nothing that can take you away from him, we're told. So just keep trusting in him. That's the first real quick one. Second one is that Christians don't belong here. They're exiles. I don't know if you know what exiles means, um, but it just means... I've lost myself. Oh, yeah. It just means that you're a temporary resident in a foreign land, okay? So in a, in a positive spin of exile, it's like you've gone to Japan as a study, what do you call that? Exchange student, thank you, I heard it. Um, so you're there, you're living there, you're studying in Japan, but when you open up your passport, what does it say? It says Australian citizen, citizen of Australia. You're not Japanese, you're Australian. This isn't your home, you're just visiting here. And if you visit for too long, you'll probably actually get kicked out and some bad stuff will happen. And Philippians 3.20 says that of Christians, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christians are citizens of heaven. And Peter paints this picture of us being exiles and having a visa here on earth, right? It's a temporary living situation while we wait for heaven. So one little small word unlocks this, and I find that a really good and a really helpful way about thinking about life. So you're worried about this life, the way it's not going, the way it's planned out perhaps. Are you worried about how good you're going to go at school, what kind of job you're going to get. Are you worried about what house you might be able to afford in the future, how far away you're going to have to move away with house rates the way they are. Um, who you might manage to marry, things like this. We're only here for a short time. The worst that it can be is a holiday gone bad. That's the perspective it's given me. Fix your eyes on returning home. And for us, our citizenship is in heaven. Third one, and the one I want to point out in particular, is the obedience to Christ. You see it there. As a Christian, we're described as someone who is obedient to Jesus. And I want to point this out because as young people, we struggle being obedient. We want to do things our way. We think we know best. We think no one's ever thought what we've thought before, right? And so we rebel against our parents. We rebel against our teachers. 
We rebel against our sporting coaches. We rebel against our youth leaders, perhaps. Now, as Christians, guys, we cannot live in disobedience to Jesus. As Christians, you're called to be obedient to him. Now, do you say that you're following Jesus, but you don't really give any regard to the claim he has over your life? Do you say you're, that you love and follow Jesus, but really you've got no concern for his way of living? Maybe that's you. Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. I've struggled with that one. If you love Jesus, you obey him because we're called to be obedient. If you're a follower of Jesus, let me ask you, what are the areas that you're not fully obedient to Jesus in? We all have them. No one's perfectly obedient except for Jesus himself. But are you bringing those areas under Jesus? If you want to grow as a Christian, that's how you do it. Plain and simple. Obedience to Christ. Put more and more of your life into obedience under Jesus. But are you a follower of Jesus saying, oh, nah, it's all... It's all good for me to get drunk and lose my self-control. That's fine. Yeah, whatever, Jesus. I think it's best for me to fool around with my girlfriend, boyfriend. I don't think sexual sin is a big deal. Get with the times. Maybe that's your attitude. Or whatever, Jesus, love your enemies. That sounds frustrating. I might just not do that. If that's you, And I find it's me every day, every week in a small way. But if it's you in a big way, as a pattern of life, you need to turn from that. You need to start walking towards Jesus, putting things, being obedient to him. But, I should say, this obedience isn't what saves you. Uh, It's an obedience to Christ that we're saved to. Ready? So verse 2, we've been chosen by God. We've looked at that. It's not according to you. Verse 2, we've been washed by Jesus' blood, not by obedience. Verse 3, we're saved according to God's mercy, not according to our obedience. Obedience doesn't save us, but we are saved to and to be obedient. There's the three quick things. And I did want to start with what is it to be a Christian? Because this letter is to Christians. And the hope that Peter's talking about, that we're going to be looking into, is a hope that is for Christians. If you aren't a Christian, a follower of Jesus, then this hope isn't for you. It isn't yours. You don't have it. And I don't say that to want to be mean or anything like that. It's just reality. But don't worry. I was once like that. Plenty of people here, all of us, were once like that without this hope that we're going to be talking about. And if you want in, you got it. Listen. Taste and see the goodness of the hope that we have, and I pray that you'd be keen to get in on the action. That's what we're keen for here at Youth. Because without it, I reckon you're still a hopeless person, like my auntie still in the foster home. You've just got no future, no hope. And I would invite you to consider the hope that Christians have and get in on it. So back to verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. New birth out of what we're into, into a living hope. The hope we have as Christians is alive and well. It's, it isn't dead, it isn't flimsy, it's secure. But I think that hope for us is kind of a hard concept to grab a hold of, and I've kind of already said this, but I think it's because of the way everyone talks about it around us. We, we say, oh, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. 
or yeah, particularly because I'm getting married tomorrow or something like this, right? Um, I, <laughs> I hope that this exam paper is nice and easy because I didn't study, right? I hope that's exactly what I studied. Like, people just use it as like a, a wish word. I wish for this. And so when we hear the word hope, we're like, what does that mean? It's empty. It's pretty flimsy. We're so used to using it and putting our hope in things that are just readily going to disappoint us, things that won't come through as a hope. And so we're, we're, we view it with subject to disappointment. Hope, hope can go bad. We're used to that. We put hope, ultimate hope in family that breaks apart. We put ultimate hope in friendships that will let us down. We put ultimate hope in money that will be lost. We put ultimate hope in peace and freedom that can be destroyed or taken away. But the Christian, Peter says, has hope that is alive and it's solid and secure and it's because of what we put our hope in Our hope is in an inheritance that will never disappoint. And that's solid. Take a look at verse 4. So he's given us new birth and living hope. Verse 4. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That's the hope that we have. It's solid. The Christian hope is solid because the thing that we're hoping in, the inheritance, is solid. So imagine if you were born into Bill Gates' family. Here's an inheritance for you. Here's my impression. That's Bill Gates for you. Um, imagine if you were born into the royal family inheritance, right? I picture it like this. Mm, yes, do pick that up, would you? Um, and then uh, the last one is Jack Johnson, and he's doing these ones. He's going, yeah, like that. Imagine if you were born into these inheritances. They're, they're all material. I'm trying to get They're all material. They've all got different flavors. But they're, they're awesome, It'd be sick to wake up as rich or rich one day, but it's all going to fade and it's not going to last. The inheritance we have in God's family is eternal life. It will last forever by definition. We're told that it will never be destroyed, it will never spoil, and it will never fade. Eternal life is an ultimate guarantee. So, uh, you know those products that say, Money-back guarantee if you're not 100% satisfied with the product. I've always thought 100% is a bit funny there. But the other ones that say lifetime warranty, I like these kinds of things. But the problem with them is that it all hinges on the fact whether you keep the receipt. So you got a lifetime warranty on something and a year later it breaks and you're like, ah, oh, damn it, I'll just have to buy another one. That's what happens to me. I don't know about you. But imagine a guarantee that said 100% satisfaction, best product ever. lifetime warranty. 100% guarantee that you won't lose your receipt. In fact, we'll keep it. We'll put it on file for you and look it up when you come in, whenever you want. That'd be the best. Imagine that. Oh, man, so much security. Um, But still imagine it because we've got an even better guarantee for our eternal hope. Check it out, verse 4 and 5. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That's the inheritance itself, guaranteed, right? But get this, you, for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. I'm going to call that a double guarantee, right? It's two-sided. The inheritance itself will never fail, 
but it's also guaranteed that you'll be around to get it. The product, the warranty, the receipt, all guaranteed in the hope that we have as Christians. The inheritance is kept over here for you. It's sweet. It's awesome. It's never going to be bad. You're over here, but you're going to be shielded by God every step of the way to get that inheritance. Now, all of that is to say, as we package that up and have a look at it, is that Christians have eternal life, guaranteed, secured. You can't lose it. You're going to be shielded. You're going to get there. God's going to bring you there. That's what we're looking at. And all that is to say that as we look at that and put our hope in that, our hope is guaranteed. Our hope is secure because of the inheritance being secure. And all of that is to say, how good is that? Party time. Like That's what Peter does. The very next verse, he's done all the groundwork and we have two. All three verses, one to five. And then verse six, he just says, in all of this, you greatly rejoice. We rejoice. You stop and think about those first five verses for a second. And I I just can't help thinking, and just being stoked on the inheritance that I have. It's like an air punch. It's a yes. It's one of them funky kicks that I love doing. It's so good. The eternal life that I have secured is the best. It just made my eternity. And the end of verse 8 too, Sam pointed out while I was singing, you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So ask me what my joy is like, come on. Yeah. I can't say. It's inexpressible, isn't it? I don't know. Like it's, it's like that feeling sometimes you have. Often it's with love and in the movies. And it's, oh, I, just, I just can't say the right words to get it across. I can't, I can't do anything to show you this, right? And on the inside, you're just like, inexpressible joy. You just can't, uh, you know, ultimate punch, things like this. It's just, it's awesome. That's what, that's what this good news and this inheritance should do for us. It should well up inside of us until we uh, just vomit it out everywhere, right? And I figure we vomit it out. Over everyone, we vomit up and we vomit across, okay? Stick with me. (laughs) Uh, So up, we vomit up, right? We're just overflowing with joy straight up to God. We're praising him for his mercy. Verse 3, praise be to God in his great mercy. And then out to others, right? Actually, on that note, this group of three girls up the back, Brit is one of them. And I was sitting behind you as you were singing, and they're dancing away, and they're doing their actions. And I was just like, that's sick. So I wrote down here, chicks. Um, <laughs> anyways, so we're going up to God, right? And we're praising him for what he's done. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice. Don't get sick of that line. And these girls, they're rejoicing with their bodies as well, and that's cool. And it encouraged me. So this is my next point. It goes out to others, right? Out to others, to our Christian brothers and sisters, keep focusing each other on this. That is what our joy does. It overwhelms and spurs each other on. And finally, out to people who don't know Jesus, who don't trust Jesus. Imagine a a life so filled with hope and joy. People just see it and they want that. That's awesome. And maybe vomit wasn't the best way to describe it. But anyways... um, But if we could just grasp even and help each other grasp even just a tiny bit of this hope we have, 
Wow, it would be huge. And I hope some of this is coming across. You would be transformed. And this place, youth, would be transformed. And potentially your mates would be transformed. So you might be thinking, I don't feel that. I don't feel that joy all the time. And I understand that. I get that. Me too. I don't always feel it. I need to remind myself, and, and writing this talk has been a reminder and writing that last weird amount of stuff that, as I said, do weird things. Um, that's, it's, it's reminding me of this joy that I have. I'm not trying to fake it for you guys. I need to remind myself. And I think God writes it down in his word so that we don't forget it. That's how we remind ourselves. And it isn't always easy to rejoice as a Christian. In fact, as a Christian, we're promised a couple of things, and one of them is to suffer for being a Christian. And how do those things fit together? How, how does what we looked at... In fact, I'm going to ask you guys. Turn to the person next to you, take 10 seconds. How does what we've looked at tonight, the hope we have, help us in suffering? 10 seconds, Yeah. Oh, that's good. A couple of people yell it out. How does, how does what we looked at, how does this hope help us in suffering? Go. Shh. And now one person. What do you got? Something to look forward to. How's that helping our suffering? Yeah. Sweet. Something good coming helps us get through. Anything else? Yep. Suffering's temporary. So seeing that something else is coming, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, as you will. It's only temporary. That's good. It's good. Those boys, there's something in there. Everyone's doing this. Swaney? Oh, okay, cool. Right on. I concur. Yeah, cool. All right. I reckon, I reckon we see... In two, two, two ways to see it, and you guys have picked up on them. It helps us see um, beyond our suffering. So it's playing with a few of those ideas, right? So easy illustration, how much easier is it to get through your exams when you know there's holidays at the other end? Yeah? Amen? Amen. That one's done. Uh, Peter, right? He teaches something more than that, though. It's not just help us get through. It's not just head down, power through, but... He actually teaches that our suffering is good for us. It's good for our faith. It's good to focus us on the hope as well. So he says in verse 7, These hard times have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. He gives us an illustration of refining gold. Now, I don't know if you guys know much about this. I don't heaps. Um, but gold has its impurities. You put it to the flame, burns them away. Pure gold. Pure gold. Loving it, right? In a similar way, when we feel the heat as Christians, that helps refine our faith, our trust, causing us to rely more and more on God, causing us to become more and more like Jesus, who relied on God completely. So as you look back in your life so far, uh, maybe you're like my auntie and you've got a life full of suffering, but maybe you haven't experienced much at all. But as you look back, 
when are the times that you've grown most as a Christian where you've learnt to rely on God the most? Has it been when you're cruising through life, having a good time, everything's going sweet? It might be. Very well could be. Not for me, though. For me, it's during times of suffering. My faith is its strongest when people question it and say, why do you believe that? Because as I answer them, I answer myself and I preach to myself. I strengthen my faith. My belief in the shortness of life, the reality of heaven and hell and eternity, is strongest when someone closest to me dies. Now, this last two weeks has been pretty crappy and really hard for me. But I'll tell you what's been awesome in it all, and I can say this very genuinely, is the word of God and the promises of God. It's nothing flashy, but it's profound. And so I want to to just tell you how it's worked for me in these two weeks. So I was talking to a good friend just before um, the hardness of the last two weeks hit, and we just started talking about memory verses. And we shared a few that we knew. I thought to myself, I may as well learn some more. You've just said a couple, I'll learn them. And so there were three. It was 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9, which we just looked at. Coincidence, I think not. Uh, James 1, 2 to 4, and Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. And they're all within a couple of pages of each other. I'll figure this out later. Right? Little did I know that they'd provide me such comfort in this time. I didn't realise till stuff got tough that they were all about suffering and that they actually flowed on from each other like really, really nicely. So 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9, we're looking at now, it talks about the hope of eternity, talks about fixing our eyes on that, getting through suffering, which um, refines our faith, right? That leaves me thinking, oh, right now sucks, but how good is the hope I have and what this is doing for my faith? James 1 to 2 tells us to take joy in suffering because it teaches us to practice perseverance. And when we practice perseverance, we become mature as Christians. Matures our faith. And Hebrews 4 ties in Jesus' suffering and says, You've got a great high priest, Jesus, who suffered and is familiar with suffering, so that when you pray to God, he's interceding for you and he empathizes with your sufferings. That was awesome for me. And it's just the word of God, the the promises that we know. But maybe you don't know them, and maybe you need to know them and memorize them. I recommend 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9 to start. I think we have a God who speaks to us daily if we open his word. And through other people pointing us to his word, God's word, his promises mean that we can have hope, And it's solid hope, hope that is unshakable. No matter how much we're suffering, no matter how hard things get, we can always come back to a solid promise, a solid hope. And we can always rejoice in that. That's what I want you guys to walk away with. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the hope that you give us in your word, the promises of eternal life achieved through Jesus. Thank you for saving us, for washing us with his blood, for making us right before you, for choosing us before time began. We have so much to be thankful for you for. And I just pray that um, yeah, as, we, as we come to life, we might be in an easy spot now, we might be in a hard spot right now. I pray that um, yeah, we'd get these things solid in our minds. We'd have these words 
floating around in our head that will help us in our times of need, especially. Um, Pray that you'd hold on to everyone here and not let anyone doubt this hope that they have. Pray this in your son's name. Amen.